You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, David and team. Will Chriswell out in the lobby for this service said, Baptism Day is the best. It is the best, isn't it? It's so great to see these people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I always love telling the younger ones, I'm old enough to be your grandfather, but you're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. And it will come up later, but one day we are going to all be around the throne worshiping the Lamb together. Well, I have a question for you. Do you or do you not like the month of September? I do. I like the month of September a lot. I don't like it as much as October, but I do like it a good bit. And even though we still got some warm days and and autumn does not officially arrive until the 22nd of September, you you have to admit it, 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 it feels a little bit like we're heading... Well, it feels a whole lot like we're heading in the right direction. The worst days of summer are over. For those of you who really love summer, I'm sorry. Hope you meet Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Just kidding. Just kidding. So why are we in a series still called Another Summer in the Psalms? Two words. Climate change. Two more words. Just kidding. Now, when I said climate change, was your first inclination to laugh or to bow up? I meant it entirely as a joke without any political implications at all, one way or the other. But it's difficult to joke about anything these days unless it's laced with sarcasm at the expense of others who we are convinced are just stupid enough not to believe correctly like we do, right? The loss of our collective sense of humor, it's not a good sign for us. An ability to laugh at oneself is a sign of personal psychological health. When you can laugh at yourself you're probably okay. If you're unable to laugh at yourself, hmm, maybe trouble. The same has to be true of nations, does it not? There was not much humor in 20th century communist Russia, nor Nazi Germany. People were, by and large, serious, sad, and scared. We're not there yet, But we're practicing real hard. But perhaps our concern about the nation is part of our problem as the church. The title of today's message, taken from Psalm 146, is Our Business is the Gospel, Our Hope is in Jesus. Wait a minute. Gospel? Jesus from the Psalms? Isn't that in the Old Testament? Yes, it is. It'll make sense as we go. I could have titled this sermon, Praise the Lord or Hallelujah. Psalm 146 is the first of five 
psalms of praise that close out the last book in the book of Psalms. If your Bible is open there, look at the first and last phrases of each of the five Psalms at the very end, from 146 to 150. So as we read from our text, you'll notice that I've changed praise the Lord to praise Yahweh. That's because it's the way the Hebrew reads. You can always spot Yahweh in most English translations because you'll see Lord in all caps. And it was the covenant name that God used with his people. So before we read our text, though, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to bow your heads with me. And would you pray silently that God will shape and form and direct our priorities this morning as we hear from him in his word? Would you pray with me silently? Father, we do pray that our hearts would lie open before your word and that you would change us and make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Psalm 146, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, our God is faithful, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord, or Yahweh, watches over the sojourners. That's the problem. It doesn't say Yahweh in here, and I've been reading from here. Yahweh watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. Yahweh will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise Yahweh. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. The author of Psalm 146, we don't know who it was, but he was a man whose priorities were properly situated. So long as I am alive, I will praise Yahweh, he said, with all my heart. Not so long As life is easy, or so long as my side is winning, simply, I will praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord in our English uh, versions translates the Hebrew halal yah, or 
praise to Yah, a shortened version of Yahweh. Praise Yahweh, or more literally, hallelujah, is the word that begins and ends each of the last five psalms. The truth in verses 3 and 4 need, needs to sink deep into our souls. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. History is replete with men and women who were great in the moment, but who died and were forgotten in a moment. In the next moment, in fact. The Hebrew word for man is Adam. That's right. Adam's name means man. Do you find it interesting that the word for earth or ground is Adamah? Man and dirt come from the same root word. You get the point, right? More about this later. In, in verses 5 to 9, we find a description of Yahweh that sounds very much like the description of the promised Messiah in Isaiah 61. In fact, on two different occasions recorded in Luke 4, 16 to 19, and then Luke 7, 18 to 23, Jesus pointed back to Isaiah 61 to claim proof that he was the promised Messiah. The New Testament authors went out of their way to claim that Yahweh of the Old Testament was none other than Jesus of the New Testament. Uh, the explanation involves the, the use of the word kurios, a Greek word kurios. It's found in the New Testament and it's found also in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it was completed some 200 years before Christ was born. Now, after the last three weeks of deep dives into Scripture and another deep dive already today, I don't want to go much further, but it would be more than fair to understand the claim of the New Testament authors. It's subtle. You don't see it right up, but they're saying, Jesus, that's Yahweh of the Old Testament. So is Jesus God the Father? No, Jesus is God the Son. But Jesus is God. So I just, sorry, I, I just promised not to go deep. So let's end this portion by substituting Jesus for Yahweh. Verses 5 through 9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Jesus his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, Colossians 1 tells us, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Jesus sets the prisoners free. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. Jesus lifts up those who are bowed down. Jesus loves 
the righteous, and as we have heard over and over and understood from Scripture, the righteous are those who are made righteous by God when they confess their sins and believe that Jesus died in their place. Jesus loves the righteous, not those who are trying their best to be good enough, but those who believe him. Jesus watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. Just before making application for our text, I want to read verse 10. Once again, putting Jesus' name where Yahweh is mentioned, as God intended for us to see in these New Testament days. Jesus will reign forever. Your God O Zion, to all generations, praise Jesus. In verse 5, the psalmist may have had individuals in mind when he wrote, Blessed is the one whose hope is in the God of Jacob. More likely, he had both individuals and the covenant community in mind. There's no doubt in verse 7, though, when the writer says, um, You're God, O Zion, Yahweh will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. He's talking about the community. Yahweh will reign forever. Praise Yahweh or hallelujah. So, three points of application. Beginning with, let praise to the Lord be your first thought and your last thought. This past week, I encouraged you to read through the book of Hebrews, those of you who would, to witness God's magnificent plan of redemption that unfolded through the ages in Scripture. We saw it unfold in Scripture. This week's assignment is a, is, is a whole lot shorter. Read the last five Psalms, Psalms 146 through 150, and pay special attention to the first and last lines of each sign, uh, each psalm. What are you going to find? You're going to find praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, praise Jesus, hallelujah. This past week, I finally accomplished something that I have tried to do, well, I tried to do many years ago and just put it down. I finished Fyodor Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. In this painfully boring an utterly fascinating book. Dostoevsky belittled the superficiality of 19th century Russians and Europeans as he sought to warn the people about the dangers of, an in, of a utopian impulse that will always lead to violence. If you must make this world a perfect place and there are people who will not go along with what you believe, then you've got to get rid of them. First, you've got to put them in prison. Then you just have to kill them. You just can't let these They're going to mess up a perfect world. Dostoevsky saw that impulse in the Russian people. And, and so some 30, 40 years before the communists took over a little bit more, 50 years. He saw it and he was warning against it. He expressed concern about the serious manner with which so many people carried themselves in that day. 
The loss of a sense of humor did not portend well for the people. I've often thought about the advantages that the first century believers had over us. And you are going to think I have lost my mind when I say this. But they didn't come to faith with the challenge of integrating their faith and political freedom. They were already under authoritarian rule. And when they found Jesus, you know what they found? Freedom. Freedom in Christ. And they were thrilled. No wonder they had so much joy, even though they were persecuted for their beliefs. We, on the other hand, tend to worry about the loss of freedom above all else. Or we angrily accuse others of not loving people because of their actions or their refusal to take a firm stand like we think is necessary to maintain our freedoms. Or take a firm stand to say that you need to care more about people. Instead, what is the church's responsibility first and last? Praise Yahweh. The people of Zion, that's us, should be joyful people above all else. If our praise for God is true, we will understand that any good that comes from us, any good that we have comes from the Father who sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. We were and are incapable of saving ourselves. And if our first thought is, I cannot believe what those other Christians are doing, then something of our relationship with Jesus is out of joint. We'll begin to make progress when we embrace the challenge of our second point. Your Redeemer saves you to the uttermost. Live as though you have been made righteous by him. Why did God save us? Look, there are a lot of answers we could give to that question, but a good start would be made if we were to say, God saves sinners to call a people out of the world to love one another and to glorify his name. We glorify the Lord when we live as though the things that are important to him are important to us. While only God could create the heavens and the earth, and only he can open the eyes of the blind through a touch, with a touch, we are privileged to participate with him in bringing justice to the oppressed and giving food to the hungry. God's heart should be seen by the world through us. And the way it's primarily seen, the first way that it's seen, is because of our love for one another. Maybe you can help me out here. How is it that the people of Zion are to be distinct from the world? What is it that the world should look at and see in us that they don't see in the rest of the world? Are we loving one another in our differences 
Or have we forgotten that our business is the gospel and our hope is in Jesus? Are we more concerned about vaccinations and masks from either perspective than we are about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? I was tempted to title this message, Put Not Your Hope in Politics. And it would have been a fair title from verses 3 and 4. One of the themes that repeatedly surfaces in the Brothers Karamazov is the notion that evil thoughts are the cause of all the evil in the world. And I'm not talking about I think evil and then I act on that. If I hate someone and I kill them, well, of course you say. Of course that's the cause of all the evil in the world. You acted on your thoughts. But no, the point is if I hate someone, the world is a, worse, is, is, is a worse place than it was before. Proverbs 24, 17, and 18 surely seems to support such a notion. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. So how's your thought life these days? I want to ask some difficult questions, but, but I promise you two things. Because this message has been a long time being prepared. Now, I'm taking it from the text, but it could come from many texts. I'm not trying to find a text that I can cram this into. I've been thinking about this for months, and then I got to Psalm 146, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, this is it. So I promise you two things. One, I've asked myself these same questions, and I don't like the answer. I don't like the question. I don't like the answer. And two, the questions are not as sharp as they could be. So here goes. Were you secretly glad that some Americans were left behind in Afghanistan so that you could make a political point? Is there something about you that said, yes, see there? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Here's another one. Are you secretly happy when an unvaccinated person ends up in the ICU so that you can make your case that everybody who loves others ought to be vaccinated? Whether you think Mask and vaccinations are political or not. There is nothing spiritual about being furious with your brothers and sisters who disagree with you. <coughs> that deserves a swallow of water. <coughs> Why did Jesus save you? So that you can make a political difference in the world? For years now, we have examined scripture and we found ourselves to be God's covenant people called out of this world to love one another as a witness of Jesus' love for us and his claim on our lives. Today, this morning, we did not baptize people into the Republican Party or into a social justice movement. We didn't. We baptized them into the family, into the church of Jesus Christ. It's a community of faith. 
We're called to love one another in our differences, not shout them into submission. Call them to believe what we think is right or wrong in the world. We can best love others when we follow the admonition of our last point. Live in this moment, but do not live for this moment. The Lord has far better things for you. Our church has experienced a great deal of loss this year. Loss is to be expected, but when it comes in the, in the person of a child, suddenly, as it has twice for two of our families this year, they lost a child. That's tough. The Lord is gracious to remind us that on the very day we die, we begin to return to the earth and our dreams die with us. How is it that this is a gracious thing that God reminds us of that? Because his word reminds us just how precious life is and what responsibility is ours to live this life well. Are we living it well in the ways that we're living it? Really? Do you think that the other side is persuadable, especially with the ways that we tend to promote our side? Don't you think that people have made up their minds about masks and vaccines and just a few will change their minds, but it surely won't be, they won't be persuaded with vitriol, with, with anger, hatred being spewed. And especially for our brothers and sisters, we cannot do this. Can we not just agree to let people live as they're going to live? If you're vaccinated, fine. You're not likely to get too sick. If you're not vaccinated, fine. You've made your choice. It's okay. We will only live well if we learn to live in this moment, but not for this moment. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 146 would have little for which to praise the Lord if the grave were his end. Even though the theology of the afterlife was not fully developed, it really only began to be fully developed when Jesus began to tell us about heaven and hell. It wasn't as fully developed when the psalmist wrote for sure. But even so, he knew enough to realize there would be an accountability at the end of life. But glory awaited those whose trust was in the Lord. So what is it? Maybe this is a good question. What is it you're going to have to apologize for when you stand before the Lord? And it doesn't work this way. We... God's forgiven us of our sins, but would you say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't just encourage people to wear masks or, or to care about the freedom of this great land that you ordained. God ordained this land for a time. 
Our time is now. Live in this moment. Don't live for this moment. Sooner or later, freedom's going to leave these shores. But the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel. And the gospel is our business. And Jesus is our hope. In Psalm 146.5, the psalmist Immediately following his comments about the folly of putting one's hope in princes or in politics or in people or in fill in the blank, said, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh, his God. So how's it going for you? Every time you think, he's done with that. Let me get back to it. How are you doing trying to shout down your opponent? No, wait. Trying to shame. No. How are you doing trying to convince those who disagree with you about masks or about vaccines or about Black Lives Matter? We live on the extreme edges of our day. And I have news for you. It's never enough. Your extreme position is never extreme enough. People are going to make sure of that. But you've allowed yourself, have you not, to be equally extreme. But you're only extreme to counter the extreme nuts on the other side. Sadly, though, It's never enough. There's always a position beyond where you are. Another injustice to attack or another freedom to defend. Do you know what the real tragedy is? Not only has civil discourse disappeared in our vulgarity-laced post, and that's another reason, or that's another thing, quit cussing, especially in public. Don't put that stuff online. That's a sign of a nation in decay that's on the edge. Leave it alone. But not only has civil discourse disappeared in our vulgarity-laced post in the public square, but we seem to have lost all sense of decorum in the church. Now I'm not trying to call you into the uncomfortable middle where everybody hates you. I live in the middle and I don't live in the middle. I have very strong opinions about how things should go. I do. But it's not my primary business. And when I'm not careful, I find myself putting my hope in getting more and more people to believe like I, I believe. Not about Jesus. It's about politics. God has redeemed us out of the world to exalt his name in the midst of those who reject him. Do you remember that a few weeks ago from Psalm 110 verse 2? Jesus through us will rule in the midst 
of his enemies. And as we exalt the Lord, establish believers, and engage the world with the gospel, we bring glory to his name. When we gather around the throne of God in eternity, we will praise God with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. I saw the beauty of God's wisdom This week in ways that I just don't think I've seen before through a dear brother's prayer. God's plan is to bring us together, but somehow we think we're pleasing him when we emphasize our differences as if we're going to get to the throne and say, what about, that's a no masker. That's a masker. Come on. What is he doing here? You may tell this has been bubbling up for a long time. I could go on, but you get the point. I truly hope this is not simply my point, but it's a biblical position of which we all need reminded in our fractured day. Let the world be fractured. It always will be. Let the church be one. Hear these words from Ephesians 4. It's translated in the New Living Translation. And be reminded that our business is the gospel and our hope is in Jesus. Therefore, I, the Apostle Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Does that characterize us lately? Humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves (coughs) together with peace. That means peace in the body. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift. Through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says. When he ascended the heights. He led a crowd of captives. And gave gifts to his people. From Psalm 68 by the way. All over the New Testament the Psalms are. Notice that it says. He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended. To our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ, 
This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Amen. Would you please stand together with me? And let praise to the Lord be your first thought and your last thought. Please sing this chorus with me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.